0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple Podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple Podcast. The goal of this show is to break down complex real estate investing strategies that you can use to grow, manage, and protect your wealth. I'm your host Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest Adam Doran to talk with us about the Burr strategy. Adam Doran is a former police officer turned wealth advisor who has been investing in real estate since 2011. He started with wholesaling, then purchased his first rental property in 2012 using creative financing and the Burr Method. Through repeat application of this strategy, he accumulated five single-family rentals in his home market of Kansas City. He later sold those properties and transitioned in 2019 into multifamily. Through an apartment syndication, he owns 52 units with his partners and plans to continue building wealth through multifamily real estate. In addition to his real estate investing, Adam works full-time in financial services. His specialty is helping real estate investors insulate themselves from rising tax rates, market volatility, and lawsuits while maximizing the use of every dollar.
0: Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Bailey. It's great to be here, man. Excited
1: for our conversation. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So why don't you go ahead and start with
0: telling the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got started in real estate. Sure, well, thank you. That was a, a really good summary introduction and um as far as my background and how it led me into real estate i was a cop for 15 years and 10 years into that career i was tired of being what i would call chronically broke i was living paycheck to paycheck i think a lot of people a lot of your listeners can probably uh relate that you know having a w-2 for a long time thinking you're going to climb this ladder or do better and if you spend enough time in that you realize things aren't getting better So that's what motivated me to really start exploring wealth and wealth building for myself. And that was in 2011. I went to a a seminar, I think it was a Get Motivated seminar here in Kansas City. Walked away from that realizing that I just really thought of all the wealthy people I knew in my network and the wealthy people I knew all had some involvement in business and real estate. So I decided I needed to get involved and that's where it started. And then I started going to real estate uh, seminars and conferences. I, I searched them out and went wherever I could go. And that's how I got started in my education.
1: Oh, that's incredible. So you did all this education, learning about a lot of real estate related topics. What led you to the topic that we're going to talk about today, the birth strategy?
0: Yeah, so I... After doing some wholesaling for a while, which was really cool too. And I would say if anybody is listening to this and they're looking at wholesaling as a way to get started, it is a good way to get started. Uh, It teaches you how to create money out of thin air just by providing value, by bringing a deal to the table. Um, And so that was really cool, but I knew I wanted to own real estate. I believed that the true way to wealth was to really accumulate and to own assets and to own equity. So I knew that was the direction I was going to go. And that's what led me into the idea of single family rentals. And I had the same problem most everybody else does when they get started, which was, I didn't really have much capital of my own. Um, I had a little bit in the bank, but not enough to go buy a house. And so, you know, it was a matter of trying to solve that problem creatively. What was the creative strategy you you ended up landing upon? So I'd been sharing what I was learning with some people in my network. And it was actually a family member that came to me and she said, you're really smart. Um, The stuff you've been sharing with me, I think is good stuff. I, I don't like the idea of my money disappearing in thin air on on wall street and traditional investments. And she's like, so if you want to give this real estate thing a try, I trust you. Um, I trust that if anybody can do it, you can do it. And so she offered to allow me to use $20,000 of her capital and asked me what I thought would be a fair, you know, terms or fair rate of return and i said well if i can give you your money back in 12 months at 10 percent would that be good and she said that would be great so there was 20,000 of capital right there i approached a buddy of mine who had a lawn and landscape business who had also gone to that seminar that get motivated seminar with me and he said man i've got really good credit we could probably get a zero percent promo interest credit card and have a line of credit so that was the other piece of capital that we needed and Uh, with the $20,000 from the family member, uh, plus an open line of credit at zero percent, that's where the capital came from to go looking for a deal.
1: Okay, awesome. And so the strategy you used to to purchase your first property is known as the Burr method. Do you mind explaining kind of what that means?
0: Sure. So Burr stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. And so I didn't even, I hadn't even heard of that strategy at this time, but I mean, we kind of just figured it out. Um, we were like, okay, so I've got this amount of money for a period of time. And then within 12 months, I'm going to need to return it to my lender. And of course we wanted to pay back the credit card before we ran out of the promo 0% rate. So then the question was, what are we going to do once we've got this thing and we get it fixed up and we get it rented, how do I get everyone paid back? And so, Went to a couple small local banks because some of the seminars I had attended said that you need to form relationships with the commercial loan officers at small local banks. So that's exactly what I did. And uh, one of the small local banks said that if we could uh, bring a property to them that that was rented and, and seasoned is what they call it where you've been collecting rents and it was professionally managed and we could show rent rolls that they would appraise the property and Uh, do a cash out refi for us of up to at the time i think it was up to 80 percent. we ended up doing 75 which we can get into those numbers here in a minute Um, but that was our exit on the back end was okay if we can get this thing fix it and rent it and then do a cash out refi as long as we buy the property right we'll have enough equity that we can pay back our lending sources our our line of credit and, and the private lender so that's what we did um and i can detail those numbers if you want man just so i can show you in 2012 you know what that deal looked like on a single family rental in the kansas city market
1: yeah absolutely let's go ahead and walk through that first deal
0: okay so again this was 2012 this is the kansas city market and we were in a very blue collar middle class neighborhood so the numbers i'm about to share today probably are not going to be similar to to what it looks like today. As a matter of fact, that property is now about three times the value it was. But at that time, it was a foreclosure listed at $34,000. And it was a two bedroom, one bath with a one car garage uh, built in 1980. So it totally fit what I was after. I was looking for two bed, one baths. I wanted something small, something I knew that if we wouldn't be getting into more than we knew what to do with basically. So it was comfortable for me. and, and when we came to the bank, we already had, the bank that was that had foreclosed on the property, when we made our offer, we said, look, we've got cash. So will you do the deal for 27,000? And when we showed proof of funds, they said, okay, 27,000 if you can close in, I think it was 15 days or something. So we closed at 27,000 cash. And then we had 15,000 in repairs, which of course my buddy and I had already gone in, looked at the property, kind of assessed, You know, we had a good idea of what we're getting into we estimated 17,000 in repairs and we came out with 15,000. So with a purchase price of 27 and repairs of 15, that had us all in at $42,000. So I had $20,000 from my family member and I'm gonna to have to pay her back 10%. So I'd have to pay her back 22. And then the remainder, um, the remaining 22,000 of our all in cost was on that line of credit, which was at 0%, which was cool. So. I had figured we could rent that house at 750. We ended up hiring a property manager and rented it at 700, um, but that still didn't hurt us. We were still positive cash flow. And then we went to the bank to get the property appraised after we had seasoned it with six months of rent. Um, So at this point, we're nine months in the project because it took us three months to get it fixed and we rented it six months. So we're nine months in, the property appraised is 69,000. And we took a cash out refi of seventy five percent of the value, so that gave us 51,750, or in my head, I always remember it as fifty two thousand so rounding up um and so with that fifty two thousand then we paid back private lender her twenty two paid back the um line of credit, and that left us with not quite eight thousand dollars in cash reserves in the bank and so my partner and I looked at each other after that nine month period is like, holy cow, we just gifted ourselves a property because we did it with none of our own money. And, um, that was probably just the where it all became real to me that this real estate thing really works. And just to take a step back, how did you and your
1: partner actually find the property?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So we did what was suggested in some of the seminars we went to. We, kind of went around interviewing and vetting different real estate agents. And quite frankly, a couple of us in our early 30s um, talking to real estate agents, I mean, some of them didn't give us the time of day. Uh, Some of them, it was immediately clear that they really did not understand the investor mindset or how investors approach purchasing, so we didn't work with them. And the realtor we settled on, I mean, he was young and ambitious just like us, kind of new in his career, looking for a good client we kind of ran him all over town. And in retrospect, that's not what you want to do, but um, it was just, uh, it was a process of getting to know where the market was pricing wise. And then the realtor getting to know what we were really looking for. Um, But after looking at probably 20 some properties and having several of them, because we didn't make a decision and make an offer quick enough, they got bought out from under us. After that happened enough times we were like, all right, man, we're committed. If it fits this box, and we look at it, and we like it. We're going to make the offer on the spot, and so that's what we did, and uh, that worked for us. So wow, wow.
1: And how were you able to, you know, analyze these different properties, estimate the rehab? Yep,
0: yep. So I had a target uh, net annual rate of return that I wanted. So like, if you take the total rents collected over the year divided by your all-in cost on the property, I wanted that number to come out to. 14 percent was my goal and we didn't quite hit it on this one on this property we ended up hitting i think 12 percent because remember i said i thought we could rent it at 750 and it only rented at 700. so our numbers actually came out between 11 and 12 percent but i was okay with that so what i did was i just created an excel spreadsheet and kind of reverse engineered it and said okay to get the ratio of total rents for a year divided by all in cost of the property to come out to 14 then I reverse engineered the numbers and said, okay, we gotta be all in at this or less if it rents for this certain number. So, and and I accounted for a couple of different things. Um, I accounted for obviously purchase costs, like the Realtors commissions, property taxes, that kind of thing. I accounted for rent and then the expenses that come off the top of the rent, right? So 750 rent isn't really 750 rent, it's whatever your net after you pay property taxes and insurance and then management fees. And I always include a vacancy rate as well. Uh the rate I used was 7%. Some people would say that's high. I know some people use 5, some people use 10. Uh but for us we determined 7. So those were kind of some of the factors and the variables we put in there as we calculated, you know, what do we need as far as a net annual return and we just knew we wanted to shoot for 14%. Oh,
1: okay. So the burst strategy, first letter B, buy. You know, that's what you did. You sought out a, a realtor to help you look for a property, you were able to analyze it. The second R, the rehab part, that can kind of scare some folks. So how did you and your partner go about
0: the rehab? Yep, good question on that too. So I'm a real big believer in teamwork and and you know everybody using their best set of skills. So I'm really good on the negotiation and working the numbers and finding the deal I am not as good on the handy side of, my friend was able to look inside the house and say, okay, you know, based on what I'm seeing here, we've got six grand of repairs to do in this room. And those are gonna look like this, 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 and this. Uh, In the kitchen, okay, we're gonna have to redo cabinets. That's gonna be this much. We're gonna have to retile the floor. That's gonna be this much. I don't know those things, but my friend did. So that's where we pulled in his skill set as when we're walking through the property doing due diligence. And then we came up with that number of 17 grand of repairs that we would need total and that was allowing some cushion like we put in there like a five percent cushion so we had the number we thought it would be and then we added five percent on top of that and it came out to 17 grand everybody's got a different cushion number for that as well but the only thing i can say is like you always want to kind of over guess your repairs, because as you kind of alluded to, repairs are, I mean, it's a sticking point. That's where a lot of people get in trouble is it costs more than you think it will. So we always kind of allow for that. Um, and and then the same thing on rents is, you know we estimated 750 rent, but we had a cushion in our budget because we might not get that. And we didn't, we got 700. So I'm always a big fan of building in those different cushions to make your numbers more conservative. Um, the one downside to that is when you do that, you miss a lot of deals because other people that aren't as conservative with their numbers buy the house out from under you. And again, that happened to us a lot in those first like 20 properties we looked at. Um, but I'm okay with that because if on our first deal, we would have overpaid, you know, your first deal can put you out of business if, if you don't do your numbers well.
1: Right. So what type of rehab did you guys end up actually going through and doing to this property, this first deal you did?
0: Yep. So we knew we really wanted to try and keep repairs under 20,000 because that was kind of the threshold we decided that if the repairs were over 20,000 it was a pretty heavy duty long-term project and we didn't want to do that on the first one. So we were just looking at all basic stuff like painting, tiling, re carpeting, maybe replacing some ceiling fans, replacing a door here or there, redoing the wood deck, which was a really small deck. Um just really really small stuff and this property was a good candidate because it just didn't have any major structural issues i think the most major thing we did and and probably the most difficult project was redoing the kitchen and the kitchen cabinets that was uh that was a really difficult thing um so that that was kind of how we determined you know what the level of repair was that we were comfortable with and and we just kind of set that threshold and said we're not going to get into something that's a big project right off the bat
1: you did the rehab and that took, you said, about
0: three months? Yep. So we hired contractors for the vast majority of it. My buddy and I did handle the painting and the cabinets just because he had some skills there and some equipment for it. Um, I felt like it was good for me on my first project to be a little hands on like that, but I knew long term that I want to be more passive and more of a coordinator versus the person doing the work because it's just not my skill set. And, okay. and so. Moving forward, we did uh, on all the other projects we had moving forward, we hired out everything.
1: And just to clarify, you and your partner both had full-time jobs at this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that was the other thing is it really did take away from nights and weekends with family. And, and that was a good learning point too of that you want this to be a business that serves you not creating a new full-time job for yourself. I mean, depending on your bent as an investor, I wanted to be passive. I know some folks really enjoy the hands-on work and that's awesome. Uh, that's not my thing though. Totally. So you did the three months
1: of repairs, got your hands dirty, and now it's time to rent it out. How
0: did you go about getting it rented and determining the rent price? Yeah, good question. So we were really intent that, like we had a lot of discussions about, we definitely think property management is a full-time job that requires expertise and a team. And so we had agreed from day one, we're gonna hire a professional manager. Now, one of the things that I've heard as one of the the primary frustrations of people that own rentals is that it's hard to find good property managers. And and I would agree with that. Um, So what we did was we just very intentionally launched a search. Um, And this was before we bought the property. We launched a search and said, okay, we're going to find and we started online and we did some asking around our network you know asking on investor facebook pages who do you know that's a good manager got people's recommendations culminated a list of about 20 if they didn't have a website they were off the list if they had a website we'd go to the website the ones that gave us the most favorable impressions we you know cut the list down to like 5 so then we had a top 5 then we started getting into the details of the information on their website about their terms and their philosophies and just kind of tried to get an impression for how the business operates, how professional they were. Then we weeded it down to three. Once we had that list of three, I personally called all of their offices and set up to meet with the, uh, with the head of the operation, the CEO. One of them wouldn't give me the time of day. So we crossed them off the list. The other two were willing to meet with me. We ran them through a pretty extensive interview and asked them questions based on what we expected out of a property manager. And, um, and, and one of them just interviewed far better than the other, just totally surpassed the other guy, was super, super intelligent. And I could just tell he'd been doing the business a time. he knew what he was doing and he was gonna take care of us. And so that's who we went with. Um, and I have that property manager to this day, if I would acquire more single family rentals.
1: What are some type of the questions you ask this property manager to ensure that they were a good fit for you?
0: Um, I asked them about their business philosophy and their vision for what they were building and how they serve investors. Um, and this guy actually had an answer. The other person I could tell he was kind of making it up off the on the fly. The other thing that I really objected to that I saw a lot of managers did was they expected to collect their fee whether rents were collected or not, which I was not okay with. And so the one we selected said, yeah, no, I would absolutely never charge you uh, a management fee for a month that I didn't produce your rents. That's my job is to make sure those come in. So I loved that answer. Um, And then I just asked them questions too about like uh, if we run into an an eviction type scenario, what does that look like? What do you need from us and how can you help us? Um, And the one we selected, I mean, he's already got relationships and a team of attorneys, like they've got it down to a streamlined process. And I was like, okay, that's perfect. So those are some of the the key issues that we asked about.
1: And after you had the property rented, how long did you wait until you got it refinanced, and kind of what was that process like?
0: Yep. So based on our conversations with the bank, which again, we went around and interviewed different commercial loan officers before ever going and looking at properties and kind of presented them what our game plan was, which was, we're going to buy these properties undervalued. We're going to fix them up. We're going to rent them, hire professional management, refi them, and we're going to build a portfolio and we want to do a lot of business with you. That was kind of the business plan. Um, so, we had already had some conversations with them and basically determined that the bank we were gonna work with was gonna require us to have at least six months of consistent rents, month to month. So we knew that was gonna be the deal. So once we did have six months of rent, we came to that person and said, all right, here's our rent rolls. Here's our professional property manager. Um, we vetted them really well. You're welcome to vet them too, but, but we're confident in their ability and the ability of the property to keep cash flowing and uh, they wrote us the cash out refile. file up. In, in retrospect, I think um, the fact that not only did we show up initially to say, hey, we wanna do this real estate investing thing, would you loan us money if we do such, such and such? But the fact that we came back nine months later and said, okay, guess what? It worked, we bought the property, we fixed the property, the property is rented and professionally managed, and things are going according to plan. I think that probably really helped our case coming into her office and saying, okay, we'd like to talk about that refi loan.
1: Right, definitely. And with that refinance, you were able to pay back your investors and even put a few dollars in your
0: pocket? We paid our private lender her 20,000 back plus 10%, so 22 grand. We paid back the 0% interest credit card, the 22 grand we had on there. Uh, Plus we had amassed some incidentals on there as well. and then that left us with just under 8,000 in the business bank account. Um, and the cool part of that is borrowed money is not technically income. So that's basically a tax free 8,000 now that we were able to invest. Um, and so that was cool. And so we just went back to the private lender, my family member and said, hey, you know, we got you your money back at 10% within the 12 month timeframe. Would you like to do another? And of course she was like, yeah. And she actually offered a little more up this time around and um and then we made phone calls to the uh credit card company and said hey would you consider extending that promo zero percent rate for another nine months and so that's how we got into the next couple of deals wow. <laughs> and we did exactly what the last r of the strategy is which is to repeat and uh, we repeated uh, four times more and and built up my first property portfolio which was five single family rentals
1: oh that's incredible and the burst strategy is so interesting and cool for, for so many reasons. But the, the last part, the refinance, that's kind of the key because you're able to, and again, repeat, you are able to do it again and again while yep. owning the asset.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I would say, um, cause I think there's reasons not to do this too. Of course. Um, or at least to do it differently. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that is the classic, like, That's the classic business owner situation, right? We just go for it and figure it out. And I feel very blessed, very lucky that it worked out well for us. I think there were a combination of good factors. We were really deliberate in the team that we hired, the realtor, the manager, the banker, so that was important. But in retrospect, a lot of things could have gone wrong that didn't. And I think about folks who have lived through different scenarios than what we lived through during that time. And I think, uh, well, what if a tornado came through and took off three or four roofs in one evening? Could we have had the cash to come up with uh, the deductible for each of those three or four properties? And then on top of that, would we have had the cash to help the tenants temporarily relocate while we fixed the properties? The answer is no. So if one bad thing would have happened, I'm not sure how well we could have stayed in business just for the fact that we were truly relying on other people's money all the way around. I think there's a lot of value and something to be said for building your own capital and having capital available in the event that things don't go the way you want them to. And I will, I will close that point with one other real quick story on the very last property, the fifth property we acquired. Um, because we ran our numbers right and because we bought the property right, it didn't put us under, but it was really scary that we got into the property we got it all fixed up and we discovered a uh a problem with the sewer line um and it ended up being a ten thousand five hundred dollar problem where we had to have someone come in and jack up the concrete floor like the finished floor all through the house because it was a house on a slab and it was ten thousand five hundred dollars of more repairs than we ever thought we'd have to make to that house And it also set us back about two months on getting the property rented. And it was really just one of those reflective moments where I was like, man, I'm glad this happened on the fifth one and not the first one. Um, So I guess I would just put a word of caution to somebody that I do think this strategy is a really effective strategy for accumulating properties and building equity. I don't think it's wise necessarily to leverage at 75% on all your properties like what we were doing. Um, So if I would do it all over again, I would leverage a lot less. Totally get that one. What are some
1: low cost renovations that you did that made a big difference to the, to the renter or to the value of the property?
0: Yep. I think two of the lowest cost, easiest to get done improvements that you can make that make a big difference as far as when you're marketing a property for sale or for rent paint is number one, super, super economical, and it can make a house look like a new house. Um, the other one is landscaping. Usually super, super economical. Lighting, um, now granted if you're doing fix and flips you can go crazy on lighting and find expensive lighting, but but in all of our experience, um, painting, landscaping, and lighting were some of the easiest things to implement at a very low cost and made a really big difference in appearance. Um, flooring not as cheap but flooring is something that can be very simple that again you can replace and make a house feel like a totally new house and then um, fixtures also can be very very cost effective Um, you know one of our favorite thing to do with cabinets was you don't have to replace the cabinets even if they're cruddy a lot of times what you can do is you can cover them with a coat of kills then give them a straight paint coat and then put new hardware on them and they look like brand new cabinets We did that with all of our rentals, Um, super, super cost effective. So, I mean, those are just a few ideas of how you can really make something, really make a house pop when somebody's looking at it. The other trick that I learned um, was that a lot of houses have these, uh, I don't know what you call the blind style, but they're the blinds. They've got like uh, little plastic slats, plastic blinds, and you turn the little handle. Okay, those really mess up like light inside the house. And so whenever we would show a house for rental or show a house for sale, we'd pull those blinds down and we'd put them in the closets because it allows a lot more light into the house and it just creates a way better effect. Um, People love it when they can see out the windows. So, And cleaning the windows, again, very, very cost effective and makes a big, big difference, especially when you're on the inside of the house. So those are just a few ideas I would have and and the things that we consistently relied on to really improve uh, the marketability of a property.
1: Oh, very interesting. Do you have any tips for actually finding the market? Because you, you did it where you were local too. Do you have any other kind of tips besides kind of your backyard?
0: So it, I, I am kind of a traditionalist in that I believe when you're gonna start buying real estate, that real estate's local. I'm a big believer in that concept, so that's why, why I chose local. I think there's definitely a way to do real estate remote and successfully but I do think it's really, really heavily reliant on you forming really good relationships. And I would generally say those relationships are best formed face-to-face. So you're looking at probably flying to the market that you're interested in and spending time there to really see the neighborhoods, really get face-to-face with the people. I know it's possible to set up business systems where you don't do that, uh, but it doesn't fit with my style. Uh, My style is very, very relational. I gotta feel like I know and trust the people I'm working with and obviously, if the property isn't close by, actually if the property is close by too, you really just have to trust the people you're working with and you gotta know them well. And I think that comes through personal contact. I also think um, just from experience here in my local market, there's parts of Kansas City I realized they didn't know as well as I thought I did. And I would look at the pictures of a deal that I was gonna go look at and I'd get all excited and then I'd get there and I'd see the neighborhood and I'd go, ooh, maybe not. So I think there's a lot of value to actually setting foot in the location
1: okay thank you yep do you have anything else to add about the birth strategy or any of the deals you did before we move on to our next section
0: um i would just say that i think this is if you're looking to buy and hold um and you're okay with a long-term time horizon i think the burst strategy is really hard to beat as far as accumulating wealth over the long term i think it's an incredible strategy
1: We're now going to move on to the big four where we ask all of our guests, the same four questions. So number one, what's your number one habit for success?
0: I would say asking questions, um, asking questions helps you find solutions to problems, help you solve problems creatively. So anytime you find yourself up against a barrier, instead of thinking I can't, or how will I ever, um, just asking the right questions. Um, Like one of those might be, um, well, when we ran into that unexpected sewer problem and I could tell it was going to be a really big expensive deal. It was really disheartening. And I probably could have got, you know, a mindset of, oh man, this is going to do this whole deal in. We're never going to get this place rented. How are we ever going to fix this or afford it? And I just thought about it for a while and I was like, well, who would be the first person I should call that knows enough about sewers to help us find a creative solution? And that led to calling three local companies. And then when their people came out, I'd say, okay, so if there were like two or three different ways to do this, one being the most expensive, one being the least expensive, could you break down what that looks like? So just learning to ask questions that lead you towards a solution to your problem, I think that's an incredible success habit. So the next time you come up against something that seems undoable, impossible, it's a roadblock. What are the questions to ask that'll help you to start finding the solution?
1: That's a great point. So number two, limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our full potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how
0: did that impact your life? My limiting belief when we got started in this real estate venture, me and my partner was the fact that I didn't have all the skills. I didn't have all the knowledge. Like I told you, I'm not a handy guy. I can't walk through a house and tell you what it's going to take for repairs. Um, And I didn't have the money in the bank account either that said that I could go buy a house. So those were like the primary things on my mind uh, that would have kept me from doing this. So those were my limiting beliefs was, I don't have everything that it takes. And the way that I overcame those again was starting to ask those questions of, well, could I partner with somebody? Could I build a team? Is there somebody I know that has that skill set? If I don't have the money, um, how could I maybe get a hold of the money? You know, And then the family member volunteered, and then my part, And a lot of times that's it too. You may not even get to contacting the right person or asking the right question, but I really believe, and and you hear a lot of personal development gurus talk about this, I really believe in that law of attraction that if you really start focusing yourself towards a purpose and a design, um, that things just start to kind of gravitate towards you that need to.
1: For sure, and telling yourself, how can I instead of I can't. Yep, yep. So number three, what advice would you give to someone who's considering investing actively or passively in real estate for their first
0: time? Well, that's kind of a loaded question because I think whether you're active, going to be active or passive, I think that that looks very different. Um, I'm going to go towards the person who's looking at investing passively for the first time, since I can relate best to that. Um, and And what I would say is, really understanding your investor ID is important. Um, are you okay with putting your money into something long-term? Do you feel like you need to have your money back in six to 12 months? Like really understanding that investor ID because not everybody's cut out to do real estate investing and it it would be good to understand kind of what your investor profile looks like before you jump into a real estate deal. So that, that would be the first thing. I think the second thing would be is, let's presume that real estate fits your investor ID. Um, Learn to value the team and value relationships and value other people's expertise. Work with people you trust, stay in your lane. Um, What you're good at, do that part. But if you're not good at it, trust the people that you've enlisted to do that and be good at that. So that's that's another thing I would say. And then I would say the real big key, especially when you're looking at a first deal, I talked about how we ran our numbers super, super conservatively. And it's a really cliche thing. And it's also really true is that you really do make your money on the buy when you're buying a deal. So that really is the critical moment. Like you've got to buy your deal, right? Don't overpay. Um, because it's just, it's really, really hard to try to create value if, if, you're, if you're, you've overpaid and there's just no place to you know, get that money back. Um, so buying right is just so crucial. Make sure you buy right.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. And like you said, you make your money sometimes when you buy, you know, that's definitely a safe way to go. And the fourth question, what is your favorite real estate business or personal development related book?
0: I've got a lot of those, especially in the personal development books, man. I love to read those, but, um, I'm going to go with one that's specific to real estate because it's. I think will give someone the confidence who's been really thinking about making the jump into real estate. Uh, I just think reading other people's stories, just everyday people, reading their stories, hearing their stories, helps give us confidence and inspire us. So I'm going to make a a book recommendation on um, getting into real estate investing. And it's called, You Can't Do That, How One Family Obtain Financial Freedom by Investing in Real Estate in a Down Market. Long title. But, it, but it's by a guy named Jim Burmeister. And it is actually available, I think, on Amazon. Uh, it's kind of a hard book to find. So you got to make sure you got the author name, Jim Burmeister. And it's titled, You Can't Do That. Really, really good book. And he talks about um, how he brought up this idea of getting into real estate, investing to friends and family members and bankers. And they all said, you can't do that. You can't do that. And he went and did it anyway. So,
1: Wow, was awesome. I definitely, definitely will have to check that book out. Great
0: book, great book. So Adam, where can the listeners get a hold of you? The best way to reach me is on my LinkedIn profile. Um, so hopefully they've got my name there, but it's Adam and the last name is Doran, D O R A N. I'm on LinkedIn every day. I use that as my primary communication tool for meeting new people. So, uh, if you connect with me on there and you get a message back from me, it's actually me, um, that's, that's me communicating on there. So that really is the best way to reach me.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You added tremendous value to my listeners. And, you know, thank you again.
0: Thanks, Bailey. This has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.